scripture reading comes from the gospel of Luke chapter 16 verses 5 through 10. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. The Lord replied, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Who among you would say to your slave who has just come in from plowing and tending sheep in the field, come here at once and take your place at the table. Would you not rather say to him, prepare supper for me, put on your apron and serve me while I eat and drink. Later you may eat and drink. Do you thank the slave for doing what is commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were ordered to do, say, we are worthless slaves. We have done only what we ought to have done. Here ends the reading. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Prior to becoming a superintendent, I was the pastor at your sister church, First United Methodist Church of Modesto. And one weekend, I led a leadership retreat for Church of the Brethren. The pastors there were good friends of mine. And so I was up in the mountains near Pinecrest. And all weekend long, we studied that story about the four friends who brought their paralyzed friend on a mat to be healed by Jesus. But when they got to the place where Jesus was, what did they find? A crowd. They couldn't get in, right? 
So you, how many of you remember this from Sunday school? What did they do? They went through the roof, right? So all weekend long, we are studying this text. The first reading, we thought, what would it be like to be the owner of the building, the house, and someone just suddenly digs through your roof, right? What would it be like to be the friends? And finally, what would it be like to be the person on the mat? When we were in that middle section, we noticed in the scripture that when Jesus turns to them, he tells the man on the mat, the person on the mat, their faith has made you well or saved you, right? It's the same verb in Greek. So as we were pondering this, there was a woman in the, in the group, I'll call her Diane, she was in her early 40s, and I could tell from the previous discussion that she was going through a crisis of faith. She'd grown up in the church, was a leader in the church, but there were things that weren't settling well with her, and she was struggling and wrestling. And in this discussion, she started to freak out, and she said, that is not fair to anyone that their healing would depend on my faith. What is Jesus thinking? You can't, like, have healing depending on the faith of other people, right? And so I could see her distress. Now, of course, uh, this discussion was extemporaneous. And in that moment, I felt the Holy Spirit give me a word from our scripture reading today. I said to her, Diane... How much faith did Jesus say you had to have? She knows her scripture. She said, the amount, the size of a mustard seed. I said, do you have that much faith? She says, I do. I have that much faith. She was comforted. And I've never forgotten that experience because I've, I've thought of those words that were not my own, and they've come back to me in times of doubt and turmoil. And I think that in that tone of voice that the Holy Spirit gave me, compassionate and patient and loving towards her, pastoral, encouraging, that's the tone of voice that we hear Jesus using, speaking to the disciples when they say, Increase our faith. So I want to stop for a moment and ask and think about for a moment what is going on with the disciples that they suddenly make this request of Jesus, right? So Diane, she's thinking about this healing story, right? So if we go back in the first four verses of chapter 17, we see that Jesus is instructing his disciples about the life of discipleship and following him, that it is a rigorous and serious proposition. He tells them that obstacles will certainly come their way in the journey of faith. But if anyone is the cause of that obstacle, is the cause of someone going astray from the path of following Jesus, it would be better if that person had a millstone around their neck and were tossed into the sea. It would be better if they drown than cause someone to go astray from their journey of faith. Jesus was teaching them that we are accountable to one another. He goes on to tell them that if someone wrongs us and we confront them, and say, this upset me, or 
you didn't fulfill your obligation or it felt manipulative or whatever it is that comes up in community. And if we confront them and they repent, then we are to forgive them. We are to forgive them even if it happens seven times every day. I don't know about you. I don't think I would get to three in one day, right? And so it is this teaching that they sit back and say, Jesus, increase our faith. They don't think they're up to this kind of demand. But in response, Jesus changes the question from how much faith is enough to what is faith for. He tells them through image and story in this passage, you already have the faith you need. Right? That's what Diane discovered. You already have the faith you need. Now, fulfill its purpose. Live it. It's not that Jesus is standing there pinching his fingers together like this and saying, you could do anything that you wished as if, you know, if you had that much, right? As we hang our heads in shame that somehow we don't do dazzling miracles and somehow that means we don't have enough faith. Jesus isn't a proponent of the prosperity gospel that is now so popular in our culture that tells us if we just believe enough and pray enough that all these dazzling things will happen and everything will go well for us. If we just believe in our goals deeply enough and work hard, everything will work out and we'll become rich and luxurious and prosperous. We'll dazzle people with our miracles. This is not a lesson in the 10 simple steps to growing your faith. No. But it's also not about shaming us for lacking faith when our prayers seem to go unanswered or when things turn out the opposite of our prayers. When we learn the tumor is malignant after all. We didn't get the job after all. Our, we didn't get into the sports team we wanted. Our pastor died anyway. These sorrows happen, and it's not because we didn't have faith or we somehow failed in our prayer. After Jesus uses this example of the mustard feed seed to say that faith is not actually quantifiable, he then tells a parable about masters and slaves to show the disciples another aspect of discipleship. Now, I will just acknowledge that this parable set my teeth on edge when I first read this passage. In fact, I said, I'm not going to preach on that. I put it aside, right? But the Holy Spirit led me back. So let me just say this. Uh, we have a violent history of slavery in our country. We just marked 400th anniversary from the time the first African arrived on our continent as a slave. And four centuries later, we are still dealing with the hurt and suffering of that violent history, right? So these kinds of metaphors don't settle with us in our century, 
So I want to just set that aside for a moment, not because it's not important, but to think about how slavery worked in the day of Jesus. It wasn't the same kind of situation. People would be indentured servants and could buy their, earn their way out of slavery, for example. It wasn't the same violent institution. And so he says in this context that he's talking about relationships. There was actually a relational system in this kind of economic arrangement in Jesus' day. And so he asks some questions of the disciples in which he expects a no answer, right? So he says to them, does the servant deserve congratulations for simply doing his job? Because he's put them in the role of the master. Say that you're all masters and you have some servants working in the field. Do they deserve congratulations for doing their job? And they're like, no, right? Uh, Should she be rewarded for simply doing what's expected? No. So Jesus is describing this relationship between a master and the servant that is marked by mutual accountability and expectation. The master expects that the servants will do their job well, And the servants, in return, expect that they will have food and shelter and clothing and protection. So after he says this, then, he switches the relationship and points out that we're all in the servant role. We're all servants of God, right? So this is not about us doing good things in order to to, to get rewards, right? To understand faith in the way that Jesus is describing it to his disciples that day is to understand that faith is a way of life. Those who serve God through faith do so with a sense of duty and delight, living a life according to God's commandments, trusting that God is leading us along a way of abundant life. In other words, To question whether one has enough faith is to miss the point. The issue at stake is how do we live together? How do we keep from leading one another off the cliff into the valley of death? How do we manage to keep forgiving each other over and over again? Now, I pause, I'm pausing as I always do when I talk about forgiveness to say that we're not talking about systems of abuse where a parent is abusing a child physically or sexually or other ways or whether it's domestic violence. Yes, there's a journey of forgiveness that people have to have, but we intercede with justice. We don't expect people to keep putting up with violence and injustice because someone keeps saying they're sorry, right? That is a whole different element. I once did a three-part sermon series on forgiveness just to get all of the complicated issues out on the table. In this case, Jesus is talking about the normal functioning of community and the way that forgiveness oils uh, the life of our community and keeps us humble before God, remembering our own need for grace and forgiveness. We forgive not because we have some kind of superhuman reservoir of faith stored up. We forgive because God gives us what we need to flourish in community. Faith is less about fortitude 
and more about mutual forbearance and patience as we keep on learning that we're all in this together. It's one of the things that we remember on World Communion. A community that lives out this kind of faith is not afraid to ask questions or express doubts or show weakness. We are not afraid to value mercy over fairness, to forgive another's failings even when our patience is wearing thin. When we are in a time of turmoil, it is easy for chaos to turn us against each other. I was sharing with the first service that my husband has been dealing with severe chronic back pain for a year. He's having back surgery on Friday that we pray will alleviate the problems. But I have watched his patients wear thin with chronic pain. It, is, it wears you down, as some of you know. And this week, I was watching myself get worn down with impatience. And it was a good thing I was studying this text <laughs> because it reminded me, step back, this is my primary Christian community in my own house, to that call for us to be patient and merciful and forgiving with each other when we're in the valley of the shadow. Faith is not the opposite of doubt. Faith is the ability to live as though something is true in spite of the evidence, even though we don't have evidence. Christian faith is a hopeful trusting, strong even in weakness, surprising and cheerful, active, growing, not because of the believer, not because of me, not because of you, not because of something that we've mustered together, but it's because of the one in whom we believe. Thanks be to God. Amen. Dear sisters and brothers, go now in peace to serve God and your neighbor in all that you do. Keep your eye on the one who grants us sufficient faith for the life of discipleship and enables us to love and forgive one another. May that love of God nourish you, the grace of Jesus sustain you, the fellowship and presence of the Holy Spirit guide you along the way. Amen. listening to this podcast of the First United Methodist Church in Turlock, California. This podcast is distributed under a Creative Commons non-commercial share-alike license. For more information about our church, visit www.fumcturlock or call the church at 209-668-3000. Visitors are always welcome. And now, may the peace of the Lord dwell in your hearts this day. And may God bless you.